our hearts to the word of God. Heavenly Father, you've already been doing your thing today. And God, you have a word for every single one of us. God, I pray that as you've convicted me, your word will jump off the pages of this Bible into our hearts today and that you will transform us. God, right now, raise our expectations to hear from you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, y'all. Now, as we start, I need y'all to pray for me because y'all know that the economy and all of that's going a little crazy right now. And every now and then, I make a decision to try to save some money. And I made one recently that y'all got to pray for. You see, my insurance was going up and I called my broker. I said, I need to save some money on my insurance. He said, it's all good. I got you covered. He said, I got the insurance company for you. We're going to save you some money on your auto insurance. He said, all you got to do is install an app on your phone that's going to track how you drive. <laughs> Jesus. He said, you're going to get a discount right away. And then if you drive good for the next 90 days, you got to have this app on your phone, give it all kind of permission to track everything when you drive. He said, after 90 days, your next term will get up to a 30% discount. I'm like, yes. Or... It can go in the other direction. Let me tell y'all what this app does on my phone. It tracks five things. It tracks, number one, the time of day that I drive. Because if you drive late at night, you're more susceptible to get into accidents. Number two, it tracks my overall speed. Do you just generally drive fast? Number three, it tracks my acceleration. Do you like to peel out at the red light? (laughs) Some of y'all already out. Number four, it tracks how quickly do I brake? Do I run up on cars and then slam on the brake? Number five, it tracks how much of a distracted driver am I? It gives me a dashboard of all five of these things in a little gauge. It says you're doing really good, you're doing average, or you need some work. You see, the one that challenges me is this distracted driving one because it seems to know every single time I touch my phone. It tracks how many times I touch my phone when I'm driving. Not only that, it tracks how many times I put my phone up to my ear. And then it tracks how many different apps I try to use while I'm driving. Now, my kids love it. They're like, Daddy, you're driving great. You're driving safe. And you know what? To save some money, I can do all of these things for a short amount of time. (laughs) And the challenge and what they're trying to do is they know that there's over 3,000 distracted driver deaths a year, over 300,000 people injured. And what they're trying to do in me is create a new habit. And they figure after 90 days, if they can get me to readjust some things, I'll have a new habit of focusing on what matters most, being a safe driver. The challenge is, is when the 90 days was up, I was driving, and I got tempted, and I pulled up the phone, and my daughter said, Daddy, isn't that thing tracking you driving? I said, it ended yesterday. I'm good. (laughs) Here's the deal. We can put in 90 days of doing the right thing, and it only takes two days to fall back into doing the wrong thing. And this app is trying to get me on the right path. So I need y'all to pray for me because I'm trying not to be a distracted driver. I'm trying to stay on the tracks right here that we've been hearing about because here you go. The enemy's going to come after you and me 
And we think it's going to look like violence. We think it's going to look like evil. We think it's going to look like hate. But most of the time, the way the enemy's going to come after you and me is just a little bitty alert. <laughs> Maybe he's going to come after you with a notification of an email. Maybe he's going to get you off the path God has for you with, oh, Jesus, a Netflix recommendation. Maybe you would like this. Maybe he's going to try to get you off the path with your neighbor got a brand new car. I don't need to know about that car you just got. You see, distractions will come at us, and they're not the big, huge things that we think. What the enemy wants to do is he says, you know what? I don't have to destroy you if I can just distract you. I can get you off the purpose God has for your life. And God's got something great for every single one of us. Just think about the word distraction. Pastor Conway showed us a couple weeks ago that to distract means to go in two different directions. Think of the word like this, distraction. I'm walking up here and my feet, the soles of my feet are touching the floor. And what's happening is there's kinetic energy created and there's traction. Now, the word distraction, here's where this comes in. Some of y'all in Texas remember two years ago we had something called snowmageddon, right? Praise Jesus. This year we had a little mini snowstorm. But just imagine for a moment if I were up here trying to walk on ice, the traction I have would become distraction. Because distraction is what the enemy tries to put in between your feet and your foundation to get you off kilter. What the enemy wants to do is get you wobbly where you don't have traction. He wants to distract you. And what I want to ask you today is how many of us are walking through life and we don't feel like we have a firm foundation. We feel like in the area of my family, everything seems to be all over the place. Or maybe it's in my finances, I don't have traction. Maybe it's with loss or hurt or pain. Something is challenging me and I don't feel like I have a firm foundation. More distractions equal less traction. And every single time a distraction comes in, it pulls our traction. And that's why we talk about being stretched thin. Because when we give our time and our life to distractions, we have less time to focus on what matters most. And that's why we get so irritable. That's why we get so frustrated. Because we've got nothing left to give. And we're hanging on by a thread. That's why we've got to have less distractions. And the enemy wants you, he wants to get to you and me right when we're on the edge of getting to what God has for us. God's got something special for every single one of us. He's got a purpose. He's got a design. And the enemy says, as you get close to that, the closer you get, the more I'm going to try to distract you. The more I'm going to try to get something in between you and God. And in the book of Nehemiah, here's the deal. Um, Nehemiah had some distractions coming his way. Nehemiah, the whole story is the walls of Jerusalem, they're all in shambles. And enemies come in, they plunder, they take whatever they want, and it's crazy. And Nehemiah's got this vision to rebuild the wall so there can be protection. And as he's rebuilding, he's got everybody building. They've got, work, they've got tools in one hand and a sword in the other hand because the enemy does not want them to rebuild these walls. And what happens with Nehemiah is he gets close. He's at the very end of finishing the walls. The walls are almost done, and then that's where the enemy steps in to distract him. Nehemiah chapter 6, check this out. Chapter 6, verse 1. 
It says, now when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, and to Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of the enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and that no breach remained, although at that time I had not yet set up the doors and the gates. He's done everything except the doors and the gates. Then you got these jokers, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Just sound like some bad dudes. Verse 2. Praise the Lord. Verse 2, in the name of Jesus. Oh, there you go. Then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, come, let us meet together at Shepherim in the plain of Ono. Pause. Anytime your enemies try to invite you to a place called Ono, don't go. Oh, no. But they were planning to harm me. He knew something was up. Verse 3. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? And in verse 4, so they sent messages to me four times in this manner. And I answered them the same way. The first thing the enemy wants to do, Satan wants to distract you with enemies. He wants to send people in your way, very subtle things, to get you off of your purpose. Hey, Why don't we meet for Starbucks and just hang out for an hour, Nehemiah? Hey, Nehemiah, I know you love barbecue. Let's go down to Hutchins and get some barbecue. An hour won't hurt you. Nehemiah, and and he's calling to you. You know what? Social media. Why don't you just take a little social media break to let your brain rest? Maybe you need to turn on Netflix. Maybe you need to go open up the fridge and get the whole tub of ice cream. What enemies come at you from every direction to just pull you off of your purpose? And what Nehemiah says is, I'm doing a great work. And God's got a great work for you and I. He says, I'm not going to come down. I'm not going to follow these little distractions that want to carry me away. Look at verse 5. Check out what Nehemiah does. Then Sanballat, after four failed tries, sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. Open letter. Let me tell you what open letter means. That is a public Facebook post for everyone to see. It's not a DM, it's not an email, it's not a text. This is public. We're parading this for everyone to see. And look at what it says here. Verse 6. It was written. It is reported among the nations. In other words, there's a rumor. It's reported. Uh, this, this is the, the very first example in the Bible of a Karen. All right? Karen is right here saying, it's reported, it's a rumor, I've heard it said that what's going on, Karen done mess with the TV, (laughs) that you and the Jews want to rebel. The only reason you're building these walls is because you've got a different motive. Therefore, you're rebuilding the wall and you're going to try to be king according to these rumors, according to these reports. Verse 7. You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah, and now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together because of all these rumors. Verse 8, then I sent a message to him saying, such things as you were saying have not been done, but you're inventing them in your own mind. That's what people do. Sometimes they just invent stuff about you and about me. Verse 9. 
For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Number two is distracted by lies, distracted by sideways energy, distracted by the rumor mill. God's got a direction. He's got you on a set of tracks. And what he wants to do is keep you going. And they're saying, you know what? The enemy says, I'm going to bring some rumors, some lies, just something to get your eyes off of what God has for you. And look at what happens in verse 10. When I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined at home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you and they are coming to kill you at night. So what they're doing, he's saying, the bad guys are coming to get you, so you need to go into the temple, verse 11. But I said, should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Nehemiah is rebuilding everything now. Because of his rebuilding, he could go into the temple. But for any other reason, to hide, for personal gain, anything of personal use, it would be a disgrace and a desecration of who he is. And it would make him unclean to go into the temple. And what they try to do is they try to distract him with sin. They try to distract him and say, you know what? They're coming to get you, so I need you to, I need you to tell a little white lie. I need you to just come this direction and do what you know you shouldn't do. They're going to distract him to cut corners and to do something he knows God has not called him to do. And what I love about this story of Nehemiah is over and over again, he's not going to fall to the distractions of the enemy. He sees and knows he has a purpose, just like you and I have a purpose and something God has for every single one of us. And he says, I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to come down off the wall. This work is too great. Distractions will make the things we want to do in life take longer and cost more than we ever imagined. Distractions and sin have the exact same effect in our life. They both connect, disconnect us from God. Distractions and sin disconnect us from others. They disconnect us from our purpose. And every time we feed a distraction, an opportunity is lost to feed something that matters most. I want to show y'all what that looks like. See, we have distractions and we have things that matter most in our life. And you and I only have so many hours in every day. Maybe each one of these ping pong balls is, is an hour in the day. And when you feed a distraction, guess what? You can't feed that to something that matters most. So you might start your day off and you might say, you know what, I'm going to get into the word. Boom. Yes. I'm going to pray. I'm going to spend some time with my kids, some quality time with my kids. But you know what? Every now and then, I need to just have a little time to unwind on social media. A little bit of time there. But then I'm going to go back with my wife. I'm going to be honorable at my work. I'm going to build up other people. But you know what? My problem really is scrolling on Instagram. So I'm just going to spend 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Oh, Lord, there went an hour, two hours. Three hours, and before I know it, I've scrolled my whole day away. And every single one of these that I put in here cannot go in here. And when we feed this, we cannot feed this. That's the damage distractions do in our life. They're pulling us away from what matters most. And we've got to be able to identify and watch where the distractions come from because the enemy's going to send them in all different, direct, different directions. And you and I can both agree that distractions come from everywhere. 
we can agree that we've got problems with distractions in today's world. Now, here's the challenge I have from you is there's a certain kind of distraction that we invite into our lives. There's a certain kind of distraction that we welcome in. And to describe that, there's something that some people have called noise machines. It's called white noise. And what white noise is, is it distracts you. White noise, you might have this. Some people have it. They put it in the room. And when they turn on the noise machine, their little kids can sleep better. Some people put it in their room so that they don't hear their kids crying. No judgment. But what white noise does is it drowns other things out. In counseling offices, in important boardrooms, they have white noise machines so that what's going on on the inside won't be heard on the outside. What white noise is, is it creates a distraction. I just want y'all to hear a little bit from my white noise machine that looks like a 1990s boombox. This is what white noise sounds like, y'all. And what white noise does is it drowns out what you're trying to listen to or it diminishes the distraction in your life. You can't really hear what's really going on because of the white noise. See, you, you don't know that I was just giving you my bank account number, my cash app login, because the white noise was drowning all of that out. And I want to tell you all how this plays into my life. A few weeks ago, um, I was on a flight. We went on a vacation. And I just need you all to know uh, just the way my brain works is when I get into confined places, little things drive me crazy. That might be you. I don't know. <laughs> but like getting on an airplane for a long flight, that is like my own personal solitary confinement. I get in the plane and I can't move, I'm stuck, and I'm wondering about what everybody's doing. I can hear every single sniffle on that flight. Every COVID cough. <laughs> Amen. Every baby crying. Oh, man. Every time the fastened seatbelt light goes ding. Every time the pilot wants to come on and tell me how nice the weather is where we're going. Every single thing. And I can't get away from all of these distractions. So what do I do? I put in some headphones, some earbuds. And I turn some music on. And I get it to just the right level so that I don't hear anything else. And that's what white noise does is it masks. It creates a soothing distraction. And I believe many of us use noise to create distractions in our life intentionally, just like I do on the airplane. We do this to deal with things. And many times what we're dealing with are painful things in our life. We use that white noise to mask the pain. And I want to ask you, when you have time alone in complete silence, what do you do in a moment of silence? Can you even sit there for a minute, 10 minutes? How about 10 seconds? Let's try it right now. Complete silence for the next 10 seconds and just see what you hear. All right, I can't even make it 10 seconds, y'all. <laughs> Eight seconds. There we go. What did you hear in that moment? I still heard stuff. I heard keys. I heard air conditioning. I heard fans going on behind me. I heard, I heard things rattling around. I heard static. And do you know we can't even make it in dead silence? 
Dead silence will literally drive us insane. We can't even make it in silence. Science shows that we need at least 30 decibels in our life or we will go crazy. We can't make it in the dead silence. So what do we do is we turn up the noise. And I believe every single one of us walk through life. And when pain comes, we just turn up the noise. You see, some of us have fancy cars that have this thing called AVC, automatic volume control. And if you have a Sedidi car, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but what happens is it manages the signal to noise ratio. And what that means is, is when you start driving faster and you're listening to the radio, it automatically increases the volume. Because there's more noise, there's, there's more things going on, so it raises the volume. But guess what? When you slow down to a red light, all of a sudden the volume automatically goes down. And my fear for you and for I is that we've automatically let ourselves go on cruise control. And we let things automatically drown out the pain and the noise. And you know what? We, we just want to calm what we're feeling on the inside. And it could be just checking social media for a minute that turns into 30 minutes. Or, or maybe it's watching a half season of All American on Netflix all in one night. <laughs> maybe it's things that are even more destructive. The challenge is when we have things screaming on the inside is turning up the dial on the outside and not dealing with what's inside, what's right here. And the real issue is not the noise. It's what we're masking. It's, it's when communication's not right with your spouse. Guess what? I'm just going to go play more golf. <laughs> or when stuff's not working right with the kids, I'm just going to get on my laptop and ignore and get into my own space. Or the job's not right, I'm going to get into unhealthy conversations and we start dealing with what's really going on on the inside with external issues and the pain hurts and we try to cover it and we see this even in the Bible. There's three different ways and we've talked about this in the past that we all cover up the pain. Every single one of us has pain hidden. We have pain hidden and in the life of David, Solomon, and Absalom, there's three ways we see these guys in the Bible deal with pain. There's three ways. You can medicate the pain. You can meditate on the pain. And you can motivate through the pain. Let me tell you about medicating the pain. That's when something's going on inside of you and you decide to drink, prescription drugs, other addictions, Maybe it's eating, and we try to medicate or numb what's going on on the inside. And David, here's the deal, David and just about every man in his life, in his family, had sexual problems. David in the Old Testament had multiple wives. He already had a lot of wives, but they weren't enough because of his sexual problems. So one day, he was scoping out another woman named Bathsheba. Not only did he scope her out, then he went and had relations with her and slept with her, had a kid, and because of his problems, then to cover it all up, he had to kill her husband. You see, he had problems, and what he was trying to do was medicate the problems. He was trying to be with more women and cover up through murder, and he was trying to numb the pain. And I want to ask you today, where do you turn to take the edge off when things are hurting? What is your pain point? Where do you go? Is it drinking? Is it maybe it's shopping? <laughs> I 
eating. Maybe it's on my phone. Every one of these things makes a promise to you and to me, and they deliver on that promise. Their promise is if you take your mind off of whatever else you're dealing with, guess what? I will be the thing you can focus on. And they deliver on that promise for a short amount of time. Because the pain stays there. The pain hurts. And it's not just medicating. There's also motivating. This is Solomon in the Bible. This is David's son, Solomon. Solomon had to, you know what? He, he had a jacked up life. Because David and Bathsheba, that's where Solomon came from. His whole life was on TMZ. He grew up with all of this mess. For everyone to see, he had to kill his brother to be king. He did all of these things, and he had all of this internal pain, and he worked, and in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, I did this, I did that, I went here, and he says, but it was all in vain. And there's some of us that in the middle of our pain, we go to motivation. In other words, we're going to overwork. We're going to overachieve, and if I have pain, I'm just going to keep doing and doing and doing. And Solomon said, you know what? It's all in vain because sometime, at some point, you're going to run out of energy. And all the overworking, the overachieving, and when it stops, that's when the voices start. And they're going to start telling you you're not good enough because you haven't dealt with the pain you have on the inside. Or maybe it's not medicate or motivate. Maybe it's meditate. It's David's son, Absalom. David's son, Absalom, good kid, but his half-brother violated his sister. His half-brother, Amnon, violated his sister, and his dad, David, did nothing about it. One year goes by. Two years goes by. Nothing happens, and he's meditating. He's stewing. He's getting mad, and what does he do? He kills his brother, and then he has to go on the run. I want to ask you today, Who's the person in your life that you're stewing over? Who's the ex that you couldn't wait to give a piece of your mind? Who is your boss from 10 years ago that you're still mad about that you can't let it go? Who is the person that if you could let them have it right now that comes to your mind, I would let them have it? Many of you, a name came right to your mind. Because you've been meditating, you've been stewing on it. So whether it's medicating, whether it's motivating, whether it's meditating on it, we have this pain we hide and we use these three things to cover it up. And every single one of them covers up pain, but it does not help us deal with it. The medicating doesn't work. The motivating doesn't work. The meditating doesn't work. The only thing that truly works is the presence of God. Nothing else we turn to will work. See, there was a song that confronted this issue about 2014, about eight years ago. You could hear this song in college dorm rooms. You could hear this song in locker rooms as teams prepare to get ready for a game. You could hear this song bumping. Maybe even in your car you heard this song. There's no judgment here. But the, the songwriter, the philosopher echoes this intellectual question of the highest order when he says, turn down for what? His name was St. John, Lil John, and DJ Snake. They posed the question of the highest order of what should cause us not to turn up in every area of our life. I believe that's how it goes. For them, this means showing up everywhere with energy, with passion, and ready to go at everything. Don't get me wrong, I'm all for turning up. 
But I also believe there's some times in our life that we should turn down. And if we're always turned up, we're missing out on what matters most. There's three quick ways I want to show you how to turn down in your life. Number one, you've got to name your noise. What is the noise that you turn the dial on? You've got to name it before you can change it. So is your noise eating? Is your noise TV? Is your noise news? Is your noise Spotify? Is your noise podcast? Is your noise exercise? Is your noise alcohol? Is your noise uh, social media? Is your noise surfing online? Is your noise something you know that you should not be doing? What is your noise? You've got to name it before you can begin to work on it. The first thing we got to do is name our noise. And then number two, adjust your noise. So here we go. You've got to be able to adjust your noise. What do I mean by that? If you know your noise is when you get frustrated and stressed, you're going to go shopping and spend some money. If that's your noise, what I want to challenge you to do is adjust the volume on your noise. So if you know out of frustration you go shopping, then I want you to say, you know what, for the next 30 days, I'm not going to buy anything. So whenever frustration, pain, fear, anxiety hits, I won't go to the thing I normally go to. Some people got the Holy Ghost right there. See, right there, back there, I see you. Maybe your noise is social media. I'm going to turn that down, and for the next two weeks, I'm not going to have social media so that when I feel the pain in life, I won't go turn to that thing that, help, that helps me detach from my pain. So I want to challenge you to name the noise, to adjust the noise, and then to become fully present. To rest in the presence of God. When you have that moment of silence, to listen to what God has to say to you. And that can be so hard. But when all we do is turn up, we become more deaf to what God's trying to tell us. When all we do is turn up, we miss out on hearing from the one who we need to hear from most. And life becomes no more than the sum of everything we give our attention to. God is saying, will you listen to me? And when we mask our emotions, we miss out on what he has for us. So what I want to do is give you some noise-canceling habits in your life. I've noticed there's two kinds of noise-canceling headphones. So there's passive and there's active I've got passive and active. So right here, this is a passive, this is really weird because I can't hear myself. Passive noise-canceling headphones. What they do is they're usually big and clunky. And they've got all kind of foam on the inside. And what they try to do is build a wall up to say, as unwanted noise comes in, I'm not going to let it in. I'm just going to build a wall on what I don't want to hear or do. Passive. Praise the Lord. There's also something called active. This is not an endorsement. But the AirPods Pro have active noise cancellation. What that means is this little bitty device, it don't even need to be all that clunky. What it means is, is when unwanted noise comes in, this device in my ear can detect that unwanted noise is coming in and then create a sim similar signal. It can mimic that noise and send the signal in the opposite direction. And what it does is it cancels it out actively. It says, you know what, we're not just going to build a wall. We're going to do something to go against that noise. 
And the challenge for us is we don't need to just build a wall because when you say, I'm not going to do it, guess what? Eventually you're going to do it. You need active noise cancellation. You need something that goes in the opposite direction of your distractions to cancel them out. Here's what that looks like. When you say, God, I'm going to give you the first 10 minutes of my day, what you're saying is, God, I want to actively cancel out the noise. I know there's going to be some drama in my life today, but I'm going to go ahead and begin my day with sending something in the opposite direction. It says, God, you know what? I'm going to take this leap and I'm going to get into a life group. Because, God, some drama is going to come my way, and I need some relationships in my life that I know are going to go in the opposite direction of that drama. It says, God, you know what? I'm going to begin with prayer. And maybe three times a day I'm going to pray because I know drama is coming, and I need something active going in the opposite direction. Make sure I don't lose that. Those are really expensive, and they're not mine. Praise the Lord. Uh, active noise cancellation. And we cleaned them before I put them in my ear, just if you were wondering. <laughs> active, active, active. This is very biblical. Hebrews chapter 12. Check out what Hebrews chapter 12 says. It says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's just one part I want you to focus on right now. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance, every single distraction, every sin. Let us lay aside, verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father of the throne of God. Jesus said, I'm going to show you how to do it. He said, I don't care what's coming my way. I'm going to stay focused on my father. And what this passage says is you need active noise cancellation. You need to lay aside and you need to fix your focus. You need to turn down the noise and turn up the focus on God. And this passage is showing us how to do it. Lay aside, fix our focus. I want to tell you about the power of focus. One thing you can control is what you focus on. Husbands, wives, if you look for the worst in your spouse, guess what? You'll find the worst. If you look for the best in your spouse, you'll find the best. I'm telling you about the power of focus. If you decide that you want a particular car in a particular color, have you ever noticed that after you make that determination that that's all you see on the road and you wonder why everyone has your car that you want? That's the power of focus. I'm going to ask the cameraman to do something right now that we don't normally do. I want to ask them right now to zoom out and show the entire stage. And they're going to zoom out and you're going to see everything on the stage because they're showing you the whole thing. They're showing you this TV. They're showing you a table. You see a boom box. You see a jar. You see cables. You see lights. You see me, and you're like, what am I supposed to focus on? What's all this going on? And there's so much in the picture. But what happens when they zoom back in on me? When they zoom back in on me, here it goes. Nothing on the stage has gone away. What has changed is what they're focusing on. And there's a producer and a cameraman and directors and backstage throughout the whole service 
They're trying to determine what should be the focus of what everyone sees. And God is saying, I need you to fix your focus on Jesus. Fix your focus on Jesus. Because when the turbulence comes, the only way you can make it, when the pain comes, when you want to numb it, when you want to motivate through it, when you want to stew on it, the only thing that can get you through is fixing your focus on the one who loves you most. Last year, my family went to Disney World. And on the last day of our trip, there's a ride at Disney called Splash Mountain. Some of you have seen Splash Mountain. You're in this boat that looks like a big, huge log, and you go around, and it's about a 90-foot drop straight down. Praise God. And then you make this big, huge splash. And my youngest, who is the daredevil of our family, I got to tell you what, it was raining. There's all this drama to wait in line. She said, Daddy, I want to go on Splash Mountain. Nobody else wanted to fight through to go on Splash Mountain. So we get on the ride, we wait on the line, and you're going on the ride, and you're going through this dark cave and a tunnel, and what happens when you're on the ride is every now and then that little boat will drop, and you wonder, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? And you know it's not it because you're still on the dark, and you haven't come out on the top of the mountain. And as we're going through this, my, my little girl, she said, Daddy, when is it coming? And I said, it's coming, and it's going to be a lot bigger than all these. She said, Daddy, the only way I'm going to make it through this is if you'll put your arm around me and hold me real tight when we go down. So we get to the top, and I'm telling you, when we get to the edge, we're looking over and you see nothing because that thing is about to go. And she looks at me, I put my arm around her, I squeeze her real tight, and then we start this free fall down. And I'm going to tell you what, my little girl who looked scared because my arm was around her, all of a sudden she enjoyed that ride to the fullest. She had both arms up in the air. She was screaming. She was saying, yeah, let's go. Boom, the splash. Daddy, did you get the picture? All because I had my arm around her in that turbulent time. She was able to enjoy that ride to all that it was meant to be enjoyed for. And when you go through the pain, when you go through the hurt, because it is real. God says, will you just let me put my arm around you? Will you let me walk with you through life? And will you let me help? David went through this multiple times in his life. In Psalm 42, verse 5, David says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? David's having an internal conflict. He's talking to himself. Soul, why are you disturbed? Why are you in despair? And then he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. He says, I see something's going on, but hope in God, for I shall yet praise him again. This is in Psalm 42, verse 5. Let me read you Psalm 42, verse 11. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for yet shall I praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Then let me read to you the next chapter, Psalm 43, 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. If you're tempted to think that you're the only one who goes through pain over and over again, 
David right here said three times, why are you disturbed within me? Why are you hurting? But what I'm going to do, David says, is I'm not going to sit there. I'm going to put my hope in God. I don't know how I can get out of this, but I'm going to praise my way in the middle of my pain. I'm going to deal with what's going on inside of me. And what I want to ask you, church family, today is I want to beg you to name your noise. And I want you to talk to that noise. And I want you to adjust that noise. And I want to challenge you today to sit in silence. To turn down the noise and turn up the focus on the one who can heal the pain inside of you and I. And what we're going to do through the month of July as a church, we call it Sabbath. We're going to turn down the noise and fix and turn up our focus every single day. I just want to challenge you 10 minutes a day to get in the Devo that you're going to get when you leave today or when you came in. You can download it online to just fix your focus on the one who loves you most because I'm going to tell you some stuff's going to come your way. And the only way you can make it through is if you actively have some noise-canceling habits in your life. So, Heavenly Father, would you help us today? So many of us have so many places hurting on the inside that we medicate and try to numb, that we try to overwork and distract ourselves, that we just get mad about. And so many of us don't want to deal with it, so we do all these things to turn up the noise. But God, you are the only one who can step into our place and get into our well and wrap your arms around us and love us, God. Would you help us to fix our focus on you? God, would you heal the broken places in our hearts? God, would you help us turn down the distractions from the enemy? Some of them are so small, they're not even all bad, but when they take control, they can ruin everything. So God, I pray right now for every hurting person. Pray that you'll help us fix our eyes on you. That when times get turbulent, we'll ask you to wrap your arms around us. God, help us to have a life that's fulfilling and to not be held back. Help us to stay on the tracks in the name of Jesus. God, help us to walk in all that you've called for us. Help us when we get to the edge of our purpose not to be taken away. God, help every single one of us to realize that you knew us from the beginning and you have a plan for us. God, we cry this out to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank God, everyone.